Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. What will the post-pandemic economy look like? Will it be a more stagnant world with depressed economic activity and greater risk aversion? Or will innovation and productivity come roaring back for a V-shaped recovery? If it's the latter scenario, then our embrace of technological innovation will be critical. So today I'm speaking with Roger Boodle in order to discuss the rise of artificial intelligence and digital technology. Roger is the chairman of Capital Economics and a weekly columnist for the Daily Telegraph. He is also the author of several books, most recently, The AI Economy, Work, Wealth, and Welfare in the Robot Age. Roger, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Uh, before we uh, talk about AI, I want to talk a bit about the economy. What do you think, once we sort of enter kind of the, kind of the post-pandemic world, and economies are, are, are sort of back up and running for a while. What do you think that world looks like? My concern is that we're going to have a, an extended period of really kind of suppressed growth. A lot, you know, consumers aren't going to buy. Businesses aren't going, to, aren't going to invest. Governments will be worried about getting deficits down. That's going to be kind of a really risk-averse, stagnant kind of world. Uh, how concerned should I be about that? Well, I think that is a, a serious possibility. I don't think it's the only one. I don't actually think it's the most likely one. Actually, a lot of this is going to depend, I think, on factors that are outside my area of expertise. That's to say it's all about uh, matters medical and about disease. I mean, on one scenario, what happens is this wretched thing blows itself out, there's no recurrence, and or we discover a vaccine and or a cure. And so, you know, this is just a one-off event. We've passed through it, it's ghastly, and then we're off to something else. That's one possibility. And the other is that effectively it doesn't go away, that we release the lockdowns, uh, and then we have to reimpose them in some form or other. The virus comes back, perhaps mutated, or if it's not this virus, then some other virus. And that's an altogether different scenario. Now, if anything like the second happened, then I agree with you. This is just desperation for many years to come. And people, to some extent, will, of course, be fearful that that's the case for a while, even though uh, it may not actually happen. In the first case, though, uh, I'm actually much more optimistic than the vision you laid out. Of course, people will be scarred. Of course, they lost a lot of money. All the factors you mentioned are correct. But nevertheless, I think we're going to find that uh, people get over it. Governments and central banks, of course, give enormous support. We've got some examples here, actually. Uh, I mean, in China, the economy is already bouncing back strongly. And in China, there's also the experience of the SARS epidemic not that long ago, which was very was desperate for China at the time and left a you know, huge economic impact. But the economy bounced back from it quite strongly. So actually, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that that's what you'll see. So uh, it doesn't sound like you think it likely that we're going to have a situation which some people floated that living in cities will no longer be popular. Everyone's going to go out 
and live in the uh, out yonder and the suburbs or exurbs that we're not going to go to restaurants anymore and, and we're not going to shake hands anymore. Just a very different lifestyle uh, as a result of this pandemic. Well, that depends on what happens with the pandemic. I mean, I think that's possible. But um, if the earlier vision that I laid out is correct, that's to say we get over it and or we discover a, a vaccine or a cure, then I think we're going to turn our back on it quite quickly and we're going to go back to living the way we've always lived. And that's very much what I think that's the more likely uh, outcome myself. But there's a danger that what you say is right. We, we're never the same again. Life is completely different. Do you think that what, what's gone on in the past three months has any influence at all on, on, our, our, on our ability to, our interest, our proclivity to adopt digital technologies, special, especially AI, does it change anyone's view? Does it mean we invest more in these technologies uh, from a government level? Do businesses think harder about this? Or again, I, I, though I suppose if we're, if we're worried about uh, another pandemic and businesses don't invest, then maybe we don't adopt these technologies because it, it seems like we could use a real productivity boost going forward and digital technologies would be a big part of that. I think that's right. Uh, I, I think if anything, it is giving uh, another kick in favor of developing AI and robots. Uh, I mean, at the most basic level, of course, if you're one of these businesses that have been knocked for six because of your dependence on people who either are sick or could get sick, you know, the idea of replacing that by some form of AI stroke uh, a robot, that's an awful lot more attractive. Um, and of course, AI can be very useful in the diagnosis uh, and treatment of all sorts of medical cases. I mean, before this awful virus came along, AI was making enormous strides in diagnosis and treatment of all sorts of things, cancer, um, heart disease, and so on and so forth. So yeah, I'm, I'm positive about all that. Uh, uh, when examining the potential economic impact of artificial intelligence, uh, sort of the model that I see is that one impact would be sort of automating jobs. Uh, replacing people with technology. Another impact would be uh, helping people become more productive. And then a third impact would be creating sort of brand new kinds of, of jobs, uh, new kinds of products and, serv and, and, and services. And those, those second two would seem to be, uh, maybe, I suppose we need all three of those outcomes, uh, you know, automating, enhancing, and then sort of creating new jobs. When you look, when you look going forward, which of those you think will be the most sort of, you know, powerful uh, influence on the economy? Well, I think you put your finger on these three very different effects. I think actually, dare I say it, you're right to say that we need all three. I think we're going to get all three, uh, but it is vitally important that we get the second, the second one and the third, and don't just have the first because if we only get the first, then of course we're going to end up with mass unemployment. I mean, I take a lot of um, solace from history, either in the book, the AI economy, there's an awful lot in there about history. In essence, what I'm saying is that we've been through all this before. Ever since the Industrial Revolution, we've had the experience of technological change coming along, making some people redundant, not just people, but skills, whole industries in some cases. Uh, and that causing acute pain, actually, to individuals and sometimes communities, uh, to the point where lots of people at the time of the Industrial Revolution said, gosh, this is impoverishing. This is really, really bad. We've got to stop these machines. They're making things much worse off. Then, of course, the historical record being quite the opposite, that people in general got better off. 
uh, workers in general got better off. It took some time, but eventually workers in general got better off. That's what I think we're going to see. And in particular, I draw comfort from uh, what I think is human beings' need for other human beings. There's one thing that robots and AI will never be able to be better at than human beings, and that is being human. So I think you know, we're going to want to interact with other human beings in our work life and in our leisure life, and that's going to create demand for all sorts of new jobs. Of course, my, my concern is that I would have 100% agreed with you three months ago. Now, now I'm at least somewhat less sure yeah. that people would be craving that human interaction. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting point you're making. Um, and of course, if the worst scenario that we talked about earlier on concerning this virus comes right, then that is going to give more of an impulse towards people avoiding people and actually preferring to interact with machines or some form of artificial intelligence. As I sort of mentioned in an earlier question, uh, you know, I'm concerned that, you know, you know, certainly in the United States, you know, uh, we've, we've sort of downshifted from a, a 3% growth economy to a 2% growth economy. I'm concerned we are going to downshift further going forward to a 1% growth economy, given uh, certainly given demographics and, you know, some concerns I have about a, uh, a sort of a lack of investment going forward. What is sort of the potential, do you think, optimistically, for the impact of AI on productivity growth, since that's going to have to do the, the heavy lifting, I think, if we're going to have an economy that can grow anywhere close to 3% going forward. Yeah, well, of course, no one knows the answer to that. Um, but I'm, again, pretty optimistic. I think potentially it could raise us to something like 3% growth again. When the problems you refer to in the United States, they're shared a bit more, a bit less by most Western industrialized countries. We've all got this same issue effectively. Um, and one of the, I think, the really encouraging things about AI and to some extent robots uh, is that um, they have the potential to raise productivity in so much of the service sector. And throughout the Western world, this has been a problem, including the US, in that so much of the economy is now in the service sector. And historically, productivity growth has been very weak there. So as you move from a basically manufacturing-based economy to a services-based economy, that is a major structural factor making for a significant slowdown in productivity growth. Along comes AI and to some extent robots, and you've got the potential suddenly for people working in restaurants, people working in healthcare, people working in care of the elderly, people working in education, a whole series of areas, their productivity going up dramatically. If productivity goes, goes up in actuality, how confident are you that we're going to be able to properly measure it? And as you know, there's been oh. sort of this ongoing debate that we've sort of under, mm. we've been underestimating it. We're bad at uh, measuring yeah. the impact of digital technologies. Mm. Um, so will we? Will we? Will, will it be? Will it be reflected in the statistics? No, probably not for a long time. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned this because earlier on, earlier on, you and I were talking about. Uh, what's happened to productivity in the West. Because the truth of the matter is, we can't really be very confident of that because our methods for uh, assessing productivity are so dreadful. Essentially, what we do, what the bean counters do, is they count things up much in the way that they would uh, as they spewed out the end of a production line. But we've long since moved away from that sort of economy and measuring the worth of services, particularly complex services, where so much depends on quality, that's very difficult. Then you've got new services emerging as a result of um, all things digital. And in many cases, of course, those things 
appearing in the market free. So measuring all this is a nightmare. And of course, there are quite a few economists who think that there hasn't really been properly measured slowdown in productivity growth. And would you expect um, if this technology, uh, you know, continues to advance, and actually it's a suite of technologies, it's not just one thing, right. um, that if we were to look at, you know, unemployment and uh, labor participation rates 15 years from now, that they would, that they would look comparable to, you know, what we've seen in the past, that we won't have some, forget about robots taking all the jobs, um, mm. but are you concerned that we would at least have a future, a future of, of higher, of less labor force participation and higher unemployment than advanced economies have had traditionally? Or do you think the labor markets would, uh, would adapt and would look uh, you know, fairly similar? Well, look, it's possible that things could end up very badly and we could have high unemployment. But for the reasons I've given, I don't think that's likely. I think what we're likely to see is a repeat of what we've seen before since the Industrial Revolution. I don't think there'll be uh, widespread unemployment. However, there, you are touching on something that I think is very important. That's to say what human beings want for their lives as a balance between work and leisure. Unemployment is one thing. That's when, of course, we don't have any choice in the matter. Our employers just shove us out, uh, fire us and shove us onto the dole. That's one thing. But another thing is the whole business of how much do we actually want to work as opposed to enjoying leisure. And I personally think that one of the results of the increase in productivity that AI is going to bring is that many of us are going to choose to have more leisure. And this would be no bad thing, in my view, in the United States, because, as you know, uh, in the US, people on average, those who are employed, uh, on average, people work incredibly hard compared to many other countries, certainly in Europe. What, what do you think about the universal basic income, which has been touted as a... Uh, well, it, it, sort of, it, it sort of gets touted as the cure to a number of things. Um, uh, some people just like the idea of it because they view um, mm. uh, that kind of income as, as just a, a as a human right. You should not have to work, but as a uh, as as a way of dealing with um, potential uh, higher uh, joblessness because of uh, automation and technological change. Well, I think you know if we do get substantial unemployment as a result of AI, and there will surely be pockets of that then it's appropriate for the state to give some sort of relief. And hopefully governments uh, everywhere are going to be much more liberal and understanding in regard to that than happened in the 19th century, where a lot of people suffered uh, appallingly. Um, but I'm not persuaded by the case for universal basic income. I'm accepting the idea that governments should provide support and some sort of transition payments where whole industries or skills are made redundant. Accepting that. I don't think universal basic income myself is actually a very efficient way of dishing out help to people. I mean, even Bill Gates qualifies uh, <laughs> on the strict interpretation of a universal basic income. Uh, this is a very odd way of going about things. And I don't myself like, and I don't think other people, many other people, just some people like the idea of effectively allowing people to choose not to work, financed by other people. I suspect that there'll be quite a revolt against that by those people who are working. So I think we've got to look at our, look at our welfare systems very carefully and update them and revise them for our new circumstances. Mind you, uh, universal basic income, of course, can have some applicability in today's circumstances where the world is ravaged by the virus. We've already seen, of course, in the US, this um, handout to and, and, Well, and, and certainly some people hope that this, this will get people you know, more comfortable with the idea and will you know, serve as a, um, as a launching pad for a more permanent uh, experiment. But 
But what about if you're if you're concerned about a a backlash, and some people have talked about it about that uh, to technological mm-hmm. change. It's moving too fast, uh, which is I, I think ridiculous if you look at productivity numbers. But some people are concerned about that. And they are concerned about the uh, um, uh, widespread joblessness. Yeah, I, I'm worried about some sort of neo luddite backlash. You hear already, already yeah. hear people talk about robot taxes. Do you take that threat seriously at all? Yes, I do. Um, robot taxes, I think that's a serious threat. Interestingly, the EU considered this a couple of years ago, and remarkably, the EU decided against it. Uh, mind you, um, not to say the proposal won't come back again. Yeah, backlash, I think that's possible. But I don't think, you know, you really head that off by instituting universal basic income, because the government is just not going to be able to afford to bring in such a payment at anything like a reasonable level. If you look at the, the math of, of all that, it's pretty horrific. The way to get, I think, meaningful support to people who might be made unemployed by technological change is not to dish the stuff out at a low level universe, universally, it's to target particular people and groups of people who are suffering. That's, I think, a much better and more effective way of doing this. Do you, do you think Western economies, and particularly the United States, are in a race with China to be the AI leader. Do you like that framing? And if you do, who's winning that race? Uh, yeah, I think there is something of a, a race um, with regard to this. And the only players really are the US and, and China. Uh, there are a few bit players in my own country, Britain. We're not doing badly considering we're so small. But it's only the only game in town really is the US or or China. I, it's it's extremely important, and from my point of view, I think it's extremely important that the US wins this race uh, because, of course, there are all sorts of things about the Chinese regime which I think are pretty unsavoury, uh, and we wouldn't want, I think, that country to end up in a completely dominant position with regard to AI. Um, and, and to finish up, I think. We've talked about some of the concerns we've talked about, uh, you know, particularly with uh, labor markets and uh, higher unemployment and just, you know, churn in the churn in the labor market. Maybe people don't like the kinds of new jobs that would be created. Mm. So what is sort of the attractive, compelling story that would make people that you believe is true, that people should be excited about where technology is headed, that will actually make a. Uh, that actually max, you know, maximize opportunity, you know, maximize people reaching their human te- potential. What's sort of the the good news, positive outcome here over the next generation? Well, I think there are two aspects to the the good news outcome. One is the loss of all sorts of dross jobs. I mean, we were talking earlier on about you know people losing their jobs, uh, and undoubtedly unions and politicians will end up fighting to defend a lot of those jobs. But frankly, they're jobs that no one should want to do. And I think that uh, other than the obvious economic imperative, no one does want to do them. Very few people wake up in the morning uh, desperate to go down a coal mine in the old days, uh, and nor are they sort of desperate to pull a lever uh, on a factory floor, um, or indeed to add up you know, columns of numbers or all sorts of basic clerical things in terms of accountants, lawyers, and heaven knows whatever else. Or be a long haul trucker. Oh, yeah, exactly. Actually want to do all that stuff. They end up having to do it through economic necessity. So what I think is going to happen is across a broad range of activities, the dross aspect, the repetitive, if you like, the inhuman uh, aspects of jobs 
they're going to be done by some form of machinery, artificial intelligence and or robots. And we're going to be left with the more human aspects, which we're going to enjoy more. That's the first bit of good news. The second bit of good news is what I was talking about earlier on, is I think we're going to have the opportunity to choose a lot more leisure, to choose it without giving up on our current standard of living. We've still got the capacity for that standard of living to go on rising and yet to have more leisure. I mean, I, I, I think that offers uh, enormous potential gains to humanity. My guest today has been Roger Boodle. Roger, thanks for coming on the podcast. Great pleasure. 